Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. my friends at Future Primitive. I have the great pleasure to be on the phone again with Kingsley Dennis, PhD. He is a sociologist, a researcher, and a writer. He has written numerous articles on complexity theory, social technologies, new media communications, and conscious evolution. He co-authored After the Car, which examines post-peak oil societies and mobility. Also, he is the author of New Consciousness for a New World, as well as The Struggle for Your Mind, Conscious Evolution, and The Battle to Control How We Think. New Revolutions for a Small Planet, How the Coming Years Will Transform Our Lives published by Watkins in 2012. He is also the co-editor with Irvin Laszlo of the New Science and Spirituality Reader. His latest book came out online on the uh, 16th of February 2013, and it is entitled Breaking the Spell, an Exploration of Human Perception. He is now collaborating with the new paradigm Giordano Bruno Global Shift University, a co-initiator of the World Shift Movement and co-founder of World Shift International. Welcome, Kingsley Dennis. So um, I would like to quote you again before we start this, because Perhaps uh, this can be uh, this quote by you can be our springboard. You say there is no better time than the present to begin breaking our old perceptual patterns, because humanity now has assistance. It is timely. That is, the evolutionary impulse is now making its presence felt within humanity, and upon the earth and it facilitates changing patterns. It will be easier to break away from ingrained patterns mentally, emotionally, and behaviorally than at any other time in our present existence. In such periods, it is possible to make radical repatterning and to develop perceptual insights. Would you speak to us about these words and these thoughts of yours? Hello, Joanna. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back with you and uh, speaking with you again. Um, very happy to, to uh, enlarge on those thoughts. And if you will permit me, I would love to uh, begin our conversation with a short story. Yes. And um, this short story starts off by one day, uh, once upon a time, uh, God decided to come down to the earth and take a quick look at how his creation was coming along. So as his presence approached the 
earth, he happened to look at a big tree full of howling, swinging monkeys. Now, as the presence of God looked down upon the tree, one of the monkeys happened to look up and notice the presence of God. The monkey became excited and started to shout, I see God! I see God! But none of the other monkeys paid any attention. Some thought that the monkey was crazy, or perhaps some kind of religious fanatic. So they went about their daily lives, collecting food, looking after their young monkeys, fighting and squabbling with each other, etc., etc. So our monkey, not getting any attention at all, decided to try and get some attention from God. So the monkey looked up to God and said, God Almighty, you are the beneficent, you are the merciful, please help me. Now, in an instant, the monkey was transformed into a man, living in his own human community. Now, everything changed, except for one thing, the monkey's mind. The monkey immediately realized, now that could be a problem. So again, the monkey looked up to the presence of God and said, well, thank you for everything, God, but what about my mind? Now, that, said God, is something you will have to change yourself. <laughs> and now, um, so, so coming back to that, that, um, that quote you mentioned, Joanna, um, mm-hmm. it's all about as I said, a matter of perspective. And, and, um, and I talk a lot about the, the need now um, to change um, our patterns of consciousness. And the reason why I say that um, these are uh, crucial, significant times um, is for several reasons. One is that it's quite obvious that um, the old models and the old systems are no longer functional. On a, on a physical level, we can see that in a lot of our social systems, whether political, financial, corporate, and and they are they are now um, not you know, not functional and not efficient for the world we need to be moving into. A lot of those systems um, are really remnants of the industrial age, such as our educational system, for example. Mm-hmm. And also um, because of um, the rising such things as our communications, our, our, our technologies, uh, people are communicating one-to-one and are on almost a horizontal level rather than before on a, let's say, a hierarchical level. Mm-hmm. Um, communications allow people to share information, to connect, to talk, just as we're doing now. So that information is spreading like uh, perhaps never before. And so that information um, is having a, a transparency effect that a lot of people are realizing through information and educating themselves and, and connecting with like-minded people that the, they're learning about these systems in a way that they weren't educated in, in times past. And so those systems are showing up to be um, not the models that we need for the future. And so... People have talked about being in a make-or-break moment. Um, I see it differently. I don't see it in a black-and-white scenario, either or. We mm-hmm. break through or we break down. My understanding is that we are going to break through and evolve. It is an ongoing process. 
And these models and these social systems will um, have to be replaced. It's just a question of how smooth or rocky will be that transition. And so, um, and part of that um, transitioning process will very much be related to our state of consciousness and our perspectives and matters of perception. So that's why these times are crucial because we are going through this um, quite um, important transitional period, Joanna. Mm-hmm. Well, um, could you say that um, our uh, c- uh, communication through the internet, uh, Facebook, etc., etc., is increasing our perception of what it is to be human? I, I do, um, to give a, a quick response, and I'll, I'll enlarge on that. I mean, technology is always, in a sense, a double-edged sword. And so, again, one does not always have a complete black and white um, result. But what I feel is important about the modern technologies is that it's, a, it's a, I feel it's almost a, a kind of blueprint of our inner energetic states, that we connect with people energetically. We have a emotional, energetic response to people. And that and we're also manifesting this nonlinear connectivity now through our global communications. And that is, for me, I feel that that's um, connecting us empathically. And... So we are now learning and seeing about what is happening to people across the world, our sisters and our brothers, and we're realizing on one hand that in fact we are sharing a similar story. Our similarities are much stronger than our differences. And in fact we are seeing that um, our diversity is really a part of our unity. And so that's increasing um, our, what I would I referred to as the global empathic mind, in that when we see what's happening to people across the world, we have a, an, a direct emotional and mental um, response. And that has been, that has been verified um, in neuroscience by what they call mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. That, for example, if I, if I see or hear someone in a certain situation, um, then my brain patterns start to mirror that or mimic it. It's called mirror neuron response. So if we, we hear about some atrocities or some situation in another part of the world, we, are, we empathize with that physically, biologically, and that affects us emotionally. And I think it's important to realize the similarity of our humanity. So although distributed networks and Facebook, etc., they do have ambiguous effects, to answer your question, I do feel that they are participating You mentioned this uh, this story about God and the monkeys, so I'm going to ask you a very straightforward question. After all your studies and reflection and meditations, what do you what do you imagine God to be? Well, the direct answer is um, something which I can't put into words. Um, Although that, that may seem like I'm escaping the, the, the question. Um, 
what is um, the the reality of God really has to be an experiential understanding. Um, now, I I feel that there's a lot of um, let's say difficulty in using the term God, and uh, which has a lot of religious um, connotations to it. For me, um, for me, the cosmos, the our the all existence, whether it's um, obviously an energetic conscious existence first and a materialization second, mm-hmm. that is a conscious creative energy for me. And so um, what we may refer to as God would be the presence of that conscious, uh, intelligent, uh, all-loving creative energy. But to talk more about that is very difficult. It's an experiential understanding. Um, the same thing, for example, if I came to you, Joanna, and I gave you an apple, and you'd never, ever seen an apple in your life, mm-hmm. and you said, but Kingsley, you know, what does this apple taste like? And I would say, well, um, Joanna, it tastes like an apple. <laughs> and you'd say, yes, but you know, what does an apple taste like? And I'd go, um, well, it's juicy. It, it, um, it, um, it tastes like an apple, Joanna. <laughs> and, you know, we, we can't really talk to one another unless you took a bite of that apple. And then when you took a bite of it, we wouldn't have to use language anymore. But we could uh, exchange glances of awe about the beauty. Yes. If we looked into each other's eyes Mm -hmm. and we had the same experiential reference, we'd know. So breaking the spell, uh, an exploration of human perception is your new book. And uh, I've. Uh, when is it coming out? It's available um, this week. It's already in, uh, online. And um, so it's this week of February the well, 16th it was published. Oh, perfect timing. Yes. So Breaking the Spell, An Exploration of Human Perception. Speak to us, Kingsley, first about the spell, because um, as I was reading your book, I um, I read into it that uh, it's an exhortation to new ways of perceiving so we can tell new stories about ourselves. Uh, so speak to us first about breaking the spell about the spell itself, and then breaking the spell. Sure. This book for me was a, a um, I suppose, a more personal project uh, than my previous, um, more, I suppose, sociological consciousness-based studies and work. Um, this, uh, this book, Breaking the Spell, I wanted to speak softly and directly to, to myself, really, as, as well as to, to other people. Mm. And, you see, as... As human beings, we're, we're, social, we're social beings, and yet we grew up with many, many layers of conditioning and socialization. And so we may not be totally aware of the, the subtlety of the conditioning impacts that we receive in our lives from, from more or less a very, very young age, from, from, from babies, when we had the first contact with our parental guidance. And then from then, the layers continue through school. Um, we are learned to have what we call um, a 
to authority, which then gets the same triggers then go into our, our social lives, our careers. And we have our families around us, we have friends or associates which may share certain consensus ideas according to if we live in the same regional neighborhood or we have a similar um, may, maybe a religious background, a family background. Then we have the media, which these days is a the mainstream media, is a very strong socializing force which gives out certain consensus um, viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And so and then we have social institutions all all around us and, and these layers they, they come upon us and come upon us and so um, our perceptions or perspectives um, become very localized and and trained um, upon what were the major conditions according to our geographical region. And so that's caused a lot of division in the world because we're on the cusp of, of being a planetary society. And being a planetary society means that we have to embrace the unification within our our diversity exists within. And we, I feel that we're having conflict because of our localized conditioning. So, yeah, as, as the old aphorism says, you, you cannot fill an old jug of wine with new wine. Mm-hmm. First, you have to empty it. And so, I feel that for, for us to, for people to start to um, absorb new patterns of, of perceptions and, and awareness, we have to start to slowly um, take away some of our conditionings. And the first step is to be aware that we are product of our social conditionings. Not to be, not to be harsh upon ourselves and say, oh, woe is me, I'm a conditioned person. No, you know, we have to be, um, I think, gentle with ourselves and accept, I have conditionings which is normal for a social, uh, our socialization. Now, which ones of those are not necessary for my continued evolution or, or conscious awareness, which ones can I put aside? Um, and I think that's important to before we start making steps ahead, Joanna. Yes, yes, of course. And um, I'm wondering how, in your view, does one even get to know that one is conditioned? And I feel I feel that um, we, you know, in before maybe years before, certainly decades before, uh, it was very difficult to come to that awareness. As they say, you know, unless you see the prison bars, you don't know you're in prison. <laughs> and um, so that is a socialization is a strong hypnotic spell. And going back to your opening question about why these times are so important for raising our conscious awareness is because these times I feel there's a greater there's a different type of energy entering entering um, to use, well, entering the world to use the, the general term entering um, our information flows, entering our awareness and so it is a time where we're being assisted to, to wake up and see the spell and I think it's a time where people are going to start pointing and saying, look, the emperor has no clothes. And once, once a few people start to see that and start pointing to it, it will spread. Um, and so this position, this energetic time, wasn't so widespread in decades before. It started to emerge post-war time in the 60s, which you uh, very 
health. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been on, a, on such a mass scale before. And I think um, over the decades, we've been going through a process of psychological evolution. We've, we've gone through transpersonal psychology. We have the vocabulary now to talk about our self-awareness and self-reflexivity in a way which we didn't have so much decades ago. But the most important, I think, is we're having an increased flow of living intelligence. And we're sharing that. And that is making a lot more people aware. And I think the emperor is becoming a lot more naked in these years. And that's helping people to share that awareness. And um, that is, for many people, um, is is allowing us to see that we are under some type of um, socialized spell. So could could one say that um, until the uh, the end of the Second World War, we were living in the age of the machine, and then uh, anyway, I rejoice about that. There's there's been an evolution in consciousness, which has allowed us, some of us, and maybe it's rippling, to see that we are conscious. Just like at a certain point uh, in the in the distant past, we were able to start uh, painting human beings in a more realistic way. Would you would you say that that has been the major evolution of the last fifty years or sixty years? I would, Joanna. Yes, I I feel that the the twentieth century has been an incredible time for the evolution of consciousness. Um, I mean, in, in, in the early part of the 20th century, we had the, the rise of, of, um, of psychiatry, psychotherapy. We had the ideas of Freud, Jung, and Reich. And people started to turn inwards and, talk, and have a language, a vocabulary to speak about the inner states. I mean, imagine um, talking to your uh, grandmother or, or, or great-grandparents and, and saying, oh, I just had a Freudian slip. <laughs> or, you know, they'd look at you and, you know, think, you know, what did you, sip on a banana skin or something? <laughs> um, so, you know, we have a vocabulary now to talk about our inner selves. And that was like a crack in, in the damn wall, where the, the water started to trickle through. And then you had, of course, the post-war time and the 60s, and you had, as, as you're very well aware of, the, the experimentation. Um, you had the rise in... Um, experiencing in some transpersonal states. And that, or, you know, that experimentation allowed people to understand that there was something there. You know, they say uh, false gold exists because there's real gold. Mm-hmm. And so that was, setting the, the, that was setting the, I think, the template for a later time such as now, where it really is um, starting to um, exponentially develop. And so once the water starts to seep through the dam wall, the crack becomes a larger crack, becomes a, you know, a irreversible crack. And I think that, that awareness is seeping into human consciousness. And almost as a collective um, field of consciousness, once a, once a minority of people start to resonate with that awareness, it, I think that, that awareness then um, spreads within, um, to use Rupert Sheldrake's uh, phrase, within the, the morphic resonance of, of the human consciousness, and that starts to wake people up on an exponential state, um, not a linear state. And I do feel now that 
that we are really, um, that trickle has grown to a, um, a small river and perhaps soon a floodwater. Joanna. This is magnificent. So uh, going back, taking a dive back into uh, your book, uh, you speak uh, quite a bit about being vigilant. And um, so um, let's say one, one part is about being able to reflect on one's own conditioning. And then perhaps the next part is becoming vigilant. So if you would speak about that. Me uh, a little while ago about after speaking about the spell, talking about breaking the spell, yes. and uh, what you just mentioned now was part of that. I talk about some processes such as stepping away, being vigilant, and managing one's energies as very, very simple, um, let's say, processes or methods that we can engage with every day just to help to um, develop our self awareness. For me, self awareness is like a muscle that once you start to utilize it, it starts to grow stronger, and you can use it more. And so it then grows stronger and stronger. And self-awareness, um, once we start to exercise it, then I feel it starts to seep within our daily lives uh, more and more so until it's a permanent presence. So um, now I, I consider that um, part of it, we, we've talked about the, the positive effects of, of technology and, and communication, but at the same time, there's a lot of distraction going on in, in, the, in our current world. And um, so I refer to, let's say, um, 2013 Anno Domini AD, for me is AD, attention distractor. Um, we, our attention is being distracted by, um, by the mainstream media, by um, commercialism, um, by many external impacts that take us away from our from focusing on our inner state. And so um, such things as being self-vigilant and stepping away are exercises to bring that attention back inward to ourselves um, and to try to make a distinction between external impacts and our inner state. And so we don't blur them and allow that um, external noise to enter our inner state. So let's say, for example, um, we are uh, in a crowded environment or we're going to work on the, on the subway and we're in a very distracting environment. And this, this can be disharmonious. Now, uh, once we are aware that we have in this environment, we're vigilant, then why don't we just, um, reach, why don't we just detach in ourselves and step back metaphorically just a little bit into ourselves Turn off some of our awareness so we're not 100% senses onto the exterior. We are, let's say, 30% of our senses onto the exterior just to monitor the environment. And then the 70%, we step inside and we start to, we can bring up some uh, very positive memories. Um, we can start to engage in, in some positive personal thoughts. And that way, it's a process of stepping away. And that helps to maintain our inner balance and helps to maintain a healthy, sane relationship with our external world. So that's just one example. So what I talk about in the book is it's necessary to polish the bridge to the self. That We have a bridge to our inner self, and we need to polish it, just like exercising a muscle. 
And the more that we do that, the more we can we can maintain a stronger bridge and have have a uh, an inner world which exists mutually with an external world, but is distinct. And we can refer to that um, on in a very very um, intimate way without being distracted by external impacts. So that's that's some of the things that I discuss. You use a beautiful word for that. Uh, um, you call it the inner homeland. So I really, I really want to speak those words. Uh, the inner homeland. It's like we, you know, the homeland. Um, if we use that phrase um, externally, it's a physical environment that is where we come to a wood and we can take a walk there, it's where we live. Well, the inner homeland is almost the same. It's a space in ourselves that we can travel within in a very secure, safe, and intimate way. And the more we can, um, let's say, enhance and develop that relationship with one's inner homeland, um, the internal universe opens up. And we, you know, we have... Uh, you know, untold vistas of what we can develop in that inner homeland. And that connects, uh, that inner homeland connects with an expansive universe and, oh no, the, the, the external manifestation of that universe is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and I feel that to engage with our ongoing development individually and collectively as a species, we need to engage more with that inner homeland. Um, a lot of that connection to the inner homeland has been um, cut off, especially since the uh, the rise of linear, rational, uh, mm-hmm. scientific uh, mindset um, of the last um, 300, 400 years. We need to go back to that intimate space where we engage with the reality of a living, dynamic, intelligent cosmos, which we are a part of. Kingsley, what do you say to uh, people who are terrified of going inside in your sense of empathy and compassion, what would you say to those people? Well, I would say that the the greatest thing which stops ourselves individually in humanity is fear. Fear is a a socializing process which has been, um, I would say, exploited and, and manipulated. And so it's our greatest disempowerment. If we accept fear into our lives, then we are giving away our authority. We are disempowering ourselves. There is no fear to go inward. And that, that is, in fact, our original homeland. The fear or the sense of apprehension is misplaced. And it's almost as if, I would say, fear and negativity knows that it doesn't have that much reality. So what it does is it pretends to be bigger than it is. Um, now imagine we walk into a dark room. The dark, it, It's pitch black. And you think, oh my, this room is completely dark. How great is that presence of darkness and fear? But what we have to realize is we only have to strike one simple match and the glow from that match will disperse the darkness. The darkness is not as powerful as it likes it to make itself to be. 
And that's the same with any type of negativity and fear. It pretends to be the larger shadow than it is because fear knows that one, one match of lightness from the human heart will disperse the darkness. So put away the fear or anxiety, step inside, and um, then we'll realize that um, we are the, the great force within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So then we shall return to uh, the connection of human beings and the earth and perhaps even the cosmos. So would you talk about this, how to, re, how to refine our connection with the earth first and perhaps consequently with the cosmos? humanity has, has lost this connection. If we, if we listen to a lot of uh, indigenous wisdom, and, and they will say, well, you know, we, the spirit and the, the living universe has always been a part of humanity. You know, why, why, why did you lose it in the first place? Um, so it's a reconnection that we have to engage with. But it's always been there. Uh, it's just repolishing a bridge to that connection. We are energetic beings. The source, now, I'm only talking from my perspective. I don't ex- expect everyone else to automatically adhere to that. We all have to do our own homework. Uh, but my understanding is that the universe is a primarily energetic consciousness state. And so matter and materiality is a secondary manifestation of that. So we all are part of the same source. Um, you know, the, the atoms that are in all the stars of the galaxy are, are not only are they streaming through our bodies, but in fact those, those elements that came from exploded stars are the atoms that make our bodies. So when, when you know, when the, um, astrophysicists say that we are stardust, it's true we are stardust. We are inherently and intimately connected with the universe. Now, that has been verified by scientists on a physical level. The atoms of our body comes from the innermost heart of stars. So when, when orthodox science can verify that, then we have to ask, well, what's behind that? That if um, the universe, this universe and the cosmos, is my understanding, is an energetic fabric field inherently connected, then not only are we connected physically through our atoms, but then we share the energy, the fabric field of energy. So it, it's hard to comprehend that, that we are all part of an energetic sea. Um, but if we, start to, if we start to engage with that understanding, put it into our perspectives and our thinking, then it starts to alter our perceptions, and it starts to alter how we see ourselves in life. And personally speaking, it starts to alter our priorities of life and what gives us meaning, significance, and richness of our lives. And once that starts to happen, it's like a chain reaction that uh, we start to get a different sense of meaning in life. And, and, uh, and then you might be surprised at how um, connections in the universe or connections in our life start to open up and mm-hmm. we might see our lives going a different path. Um, it's all about acceptance and awareness. And once we are accept 
um, a different uh, understanding and perception, then different influences start to appear in our lives. It's um, where attention goes, energy flows. Mm -hmm. So, what, I mean, okay, this is where I was listening to you Belonging, yes, belonging. You speak, uh, you speak in your book about the fact that we um, we become conditioned in ways that might be um, not so good because of our need to belong. And so, if we realize that we belong with the earth and therefore with the cosmos, uh, then we would not be afraid of not belonging. Yes, and, you know, there, there's, we've been cut off, I, I, I feel, from a, a sense of the sacred. Um, and we can see it in the, in the environmental system that we've put in place in, in, in the world. Um, you know, um, humanity in general, I'm only speaking in general, has, has looked upon itself as... Um, the conquerors of nature rather than um, co-partnership with nature. And we can see that in the way that we've, we've reaped from nature, uh, our industrial mindset. And so it's obvious that we are cut off from the living dynamic co-partnership with the energetic environment. So if we can re-engage with that, then, you know, we, we are not dependent on these artificial social constructs of dependency. And if, if, we, if we just make a list of, um, the, of our lives and our dependencies, we realize that um, an average life, most of dependencies are, are external to ourselves. Maybe we're dependent on um, certain financial um, arrangements or, or rather debt arrangements or debt systems, on commercial systems, on gaining attention. I talk about later in the book about how spirituality is often seen in terms of um, a demand-supply attention system. Mm -hmm. We seek attention and we look for a system which supplies it. And often we get duped into a uh, perhaps a artificial or cultish relationship because we're looking for a reciprocal attention. But that's inbuilt with us because we feel that we have to put our dependency external to ourselves. Now, our belonging really is... We always belong. We've always been connected. And we've always in a in a loving, intimate relationship with the environment, the earthly systems, the Gaia systems in our cosmos. So we don't have to reach ourselves artificially for these constructs if we realize, if we find a sense of meaning in, in the intimate inherent belonging. And that, that's what I point to in the book. Um, I don't wish to preach. Everyone has to walk their own path. I only wish to point out the, these potential realizations so people can look at themselves and, and, and realize themselves. Um, and that's, that's what I talk about in the book, Joanna. I'm going to ask you a funny question. In a, I like funny questions. Oh, good. <laughs> in a practical way, talk to us about the intimacy you share with the olive trees you live with or the vegetables that grow with you? That's a wonderful question um, because 
I'm on a I'm on a learning curve myself. Before I arrived here in Andalusia, I had not worked in a garden at all in my life. I know I, I didn't have green fingers at all, mm-hmm. and I've learned from scratch how to develop um, and maintain a vegetable garden, um, to plant and grow trees, uh, to prune trees, um, which I've been doing recently in the last couple of weeks, and so I've learned to watch, listen, and talk with nature. For me, it's highly therapeutic. Um, I spend enough time on the computer during the day that by the afternoon I have to go outside and, and be with nature. And um, and before I don't mind I don't mind admitting this, but before I take the vegetables from the uh, the plants, I, I say thank you mm-hmm. uh, for growing and and for for providing this this, this piece of nature. And um, and I look at nature and how it grows, and it makes me realize a lot about the earth and the patterns and the resistance of growth. Um, nature grows everywhere because it can. <sighs> and, um, you know, and so, uh, the first time I pruned my trees, I was really hesitant because I thought, well, I can't cut too much because, you know, I, it, I just feel bad about cutting them back too much. It's like shaving off their hair mm-hmm. and making them look bold. But then my, my Andalusian neighbors taught me, no, you're, you know, you have to cut back sufficiently to enable more growth to occur. And uh, you watch that and you realize that we can learn a lot about cutting back in order to grow anew. Absolutely beautiful. So we've come to, um, we've come to the, uh, the end of our time together for now. And... Um, I want to recommend for people to uh, go online and get the book Breaking the Spell, an Exploration of Human Perception. And uh, I'd like to ask you, Kingsley, what would you like to say in closing to our listeners? Um, What I'd like to say two things. One is practical. Um, If they... They don't, if they wish to, uh, don't have to, of course, buy the book, but they can go to my website if they Google my name, Kingsley Dennis. I have many, many articles to download. I have lots of poetry to download for free and audio podcasts. They can listen to their, their heart's desire, and it's all, it's all given in reciprocal uh, gestures. Um, that's on a practical level. On, on a personal level, I would like to say that, um, you know, Really, the future is open. There is a positive future coming. And everything, all the resources, all the tools we need are within ourselves. And through, through our own self-empowerment, we, we will create the future that we wish to see. And uh, thank you, Joanna. I, I love talking with you. It's a lovely, intimate, cozy conversation. Oh, me too. Thank you so much, Kingsley. Mm-hmm.